This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're talking about attorney-client privilege. I hope everyone's settling into the new school year up at the uh, law school. Professor, how are you? Doing great, Liz, and they are, and it's great to have the students back in full swing. And, you know, actually, I had a class this morning at 8 uh, with Wills and Estates, but a bunch of them are in Ron Rieschlock's, uh evidence class, uh, and they're lucky to have him. And I mentioned that they should listen to the show today because attorney-client privilege uh, really is uh, primarily an evidentiary privilege. And so, uh, you know, Ron is a great expert to have. We've had him on the show before. You know, I could spend an hour on all the different things that he's done with athletics, with uh, with the Pope, with, uh, you know, his great work in so many areas, uh, the Commission on Civil Rights and things like that. But he also uh, practiced law with Jenner and Block, a, a big uh, firm up in Chicago, and he was a law clerk to Judge Welford of the Sixth Circuit, and we're going to call on his practical experience. And one of the books he's written uh, is called uh, Real and Demonstrative Evidence, Applications and Theory. So, you know, what better person to have on pretty much any topic, but especially on attorney-client privilege. And it's always a pleasure to have Ron on. Thank you, Richard, and, and thanks, Liz. And I'm delighted to be here, and I'm thinking I probably should have assigned my class to listen. <laughs> well, it's not too late, Professor Rischlock, for you to assign your class to subscribe to our podcast <laughs> in legal terms. We, uh, we're, we were in a battle. We, uh, we'd like more subscribers. But, Professor Rischlock, we are so glad that you're with us. Um, uh, Professor Ron Rischlock has been an expert on our June 14th show about sports betting and our December 19th show about holiday decorations and public places, uh, just to name two. You've been quite a friend of the program, and we're so glad that you're here with us about attorney-client privilege. Well, thank you. It's always exciting and a lot of fun, and I often learn a lot of uh, new things uh, just preparing for the show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you do. Uh, when we do our homework, uh, there's all sorts of fantastic uh, uh, fantastically wonderful and fantastically horrid things that we come across. So let's let's go ahead and start our show with everybody getting on the same page. What is the generally accepted definition of attorney-client privilege? Well, Liz, I'll, I, I've got that right in front of me, and uh, you know, actually, it is uh, something the Supreme Court has said: the attorney-client privilege protects from discovery. And these are important. Every word of this is important. Confidential communications between a client and an attorney that were made in order to obtain legal assistance. And every part of that's important because, you know, we have to think about what does it mean to get legal assistance? I mean, if somebody talked to an attorney uh, just for business advice, that is not legal assistance. 
Well, exactly. Uh, what is confidential? What is communication? Uh, but let's go ahead and start with uh, an attorney. What is, who is, what is an attorney? Well, an attorney should be obviously a member of the bar, someone who uh, is taking over a, a capacity to give legal advice, who's trained to do so. Um, there's a uh, sort of a classic scene in Breaking Bad where uh, uh, what better call better call Saul or whatever the the attorney uh, is in the car headlights and uh, uh, he, he's obviously being threatened by by some bad guys and bad stuff's about to happen. And he convinces them uh, to talk to him, to tell him. And if if, if uh, they talk to him, he'll become their attorney. And he says, go ahead, make it legal. Put a dollar in my pocket. Uh, you don't actually have to pay to be in, to, to have an attorney-client relationship or to, for the attorney. It can be someone giving legal advice. But it's someone acting in that capacity, giving advice about law, not about uh, necessarily anything else. You come to, come to an attorney for uh, uh, advice about a relationship or a job or anything else that's not uh, under the attorney client privilege i sometimes tell my friends you can trust me i'm a lawyer i know how to keep my mouth shut but that doesn't really mean and we've got the attorney client privilege there Ooh, and I think for this show, uh, bonus points given for bringing popular culture uh, in as an example. <laughs> so uh, tell us, what what is a client in, in the uh, attorney-client privilege? Well, the, the client would, uh, in that situation, be really any person who is seeking legal advice from the attorney and uh, has come to the attorney for that purpose. And the... Uh, the words said by that person uh, to the attorney are protected in the same manner that uh, the words coming back from the uh, attorney would be. So, uh, you know, any of us can be a client of an attorney, including another attorney. And, you know, one, one thing to think about is sometimes the client, for example, if uh, let's say Ron is the, the general counsel for a corporation, you know, then it's a little bit harder to figure out who the client is. You know, maybe an employee goes to that general counsel uh, for advice. You know, who is, is it the board of directors? Is it the, the corporation itself? You know, what does that mean? So sometimes it's a little bit even harder to figure out who the client is. You no, know, that's a great point, Richard. And I often tell uh, friends who are employing attorneys uh, you know, particularly if there's a, a you know, suppose it's a criminal type charge and uh, there are three or four folks uh, accused of committing a crime or, or being involved in something, they may each need their own attorney because their interests may diverge. Things that are said in front of uh, a third party are not necessarily protected. In fact, uh, depending upon who the third party is, you can waive any attorney-client privilege by speaking in front of other people. So you've got to be very cautious about protecting that attorney-client relationship. Well, we're talking today about attorney-client privilege on In Legal Terms. Uh, if you have something you've been wondering about, we would love for you to participate in our show. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. I've got our email account pulled up where I can pull up any email uh, that you want to send us. Our address is legalterms 
at mpbonline.org. Um, so, Professor Gershon, Professor Rishlock, uh, attorney-client privilege, is this uh, newish, like our Miranda laws, or is this something that's been around for a while? This is probably the oldest privilege uh, on record. It goes to the earliest times of common law. Uh, the idea being, if you want to have adequate representation, good representation, and our judicial system is premised upon an adversarial relationship where each party has a, a, a zealous advocate fighting for them, uh, then you have to be able to speak freely to that attorney. And the only way we can trust to speak freely to that attorney is if you have this kind of a uh, protection. There's sort of uh, the, the uh, judicial uh, philosopher uh, Jeremy Bentham uh, from England in the 1700s, very influential guy, by the way, uh, wrote against this protection. It was interesting. I, I was just reading last night. Uh, he argued that if we have uh, if we have this protection, everyone will be uh, open with their attorney, everyone will get good representation. Maybe it would be better if we don't have this. In that case, the guilty would not uh, be open with their attorney. They would get bad representation and they would be convicted. <laughs> and, and there have been judges who have said, I mean, this really causes the discovery process, which is, you know, the, the beginning of the trial and it to, to slow down tremendously. You know, it really slows down litigation because, you know, you have to prove the, that the attorney-client privilege applies. And so when someone asks for documents and, you know, my side says, hey, no, that's protected by the attorney-client privilege, that takes court time. It takes a lot of time to go through those documents to see which are privileged and which aren't. But, you know, as Ron said, it serves the purpose of clients being totally open. I mean, the one thing that changed historically was it used to, the privilege used to belong to the attorney, and now it belongs to the client. How would it have belonged to the attorney? Give a a popular culture or a uh, or a uh, just other example of how that applies to the attorney well in terms of uh, applying to the attorney obviously the the, the privilege what it means uh, today is that a client can, has the right to uh, prohibit the attorney from testifying at trial if we look at this as just an evidentiary rule uh, if if I'm involved in litigation, my attorney can't testify against me. The old rule Richard is referring to uh, was a situation where the attorney had the right to decline to testify, and had the right, and I, guess, I suppose could prevent the client from testifying against the attorney. That that is, by the way, the, this uh, one of the situations where this can be waived. If a dispute comes up between the attorney and the client, and there's subsequent litigation between attorney and client. Uh, obviously, the communication can become very relevant to that dispute. And in that particular scenario, uh, the uh, uh, privilege can be waived. Well, let's let's go back to the history. Well, we have this in the United States. Is this um, in other parts of the world? Do there other countries have this as a generally accepted uh, legal premise? It's quite wide. Uh, it's probably stronger in the United States than almost any other country. Uh, reading about it, uh, I came across uh, the story uh, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, was also writing uh, sort of murder mystery books under a pen name. And, uh, of course, her lawyer knew about it. The lawyer told his wife. The wife gossiped about it. Uh, it became common knowledge that didn't really come up in litigation later on. However, she did sue successfully her attorney 
uh, because in doing this, he, it, it, I suppose if you write sort of books like Harry Potter to be writing murder mysteries might uh, bring some some different people might look at you differently, I suppose, but did that. But it also, you know, in theory, had there been litigation at some point down the road, uh, might have waived that uh, protection for her. Oh, here we go. Another popular culture. We'll also be looking for our judicial philosophy comments. So when we come back from a break, we're going to continue our discussion about attorney-client privilege. If you have a question about the laws concerning attorney-client privilege, give us a call, uh, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Okay, Professor Gershon and Professor Rishlock, here's a Stomp the Professor question. If you're talking to your lawyer and a custodian walks into the room and hears something, is the custodian bound by the attorney-client privilege? We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We do realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB media app, as is all our local shows. And we especially encourage legal students and anyone else to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about attorney-client privilege, and we've also got Professor Ron Rischlock with us. So what about it, guys? What about our custodian walks into the room while you're talking to your attorney and overhears uh, part of your discussion? Is that custodian bound by attorney-client privilege? Right after that. Now, you know... um I, I, that's because the attorney has some duty to try to protect uh, the the information, and and you know same thing with an inadvertent email. If I you know accidentally send an email to opposing party, you know, and I have violated my duty of confidentiality, which is my ethical duty, but I've also, you know, at that point, you know, that's that's hard to put that cat back in a bag. So, you know, part of a, du- a, a lawyer's duty is to try to make sure that we are careful about who we share information with. Uh, we, we talked about the fact, you know, my, my assistant, my legal assistant, my paralegals, yeah, they're part of the team. And they, they you know, that does not destroy confidentiality because, uh, you know, that's considered to be part of my legal team. Our students in the law clinic, for example, are taught, you know, hey, you know, this is not information you talk about. Obviously, they share the information with their supervising attorneys, but that's still all part of the uh, attorney client privilege. 
Yeah, as uh, I told Richard, uh, yeah, indeed, the janitor would not be bound. But if the attorney continued speaking to the client, knowing that there was a third party like the janitor there, uh, there would be no attorney-client privilege at all for that communication because it would no longer be confidential. All right. Uh, We're talking about attorney-client privilege. If you have a question about this, uh, we'd love for you to participate. Uh, 1-877-MPB-RING. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. We've been talking about how every single word in the definition of attorney-client privilege uh, it's kind of like what the definition of is, is, I guess. It's each word is extremely important. So what is communication? The communication would be the words spoken from the client to the attorney or the words spoken back from the attorney to the client. But it doesn't have to be spoken. These can be written. They can be Pony Expressed. <laughs> they can be uh, emails. Uh, however, the communication is done, the the you know what goes back and forth is what is protected. Now, to distinguish that, uh, consider the the case of uh, an attorney representing a client who claims serious injuries, and the attorney uh, goes out skiing for the weekend and sees his client on the slopes. You know, instead of being in the body cast that normally he wears all around town, he's out and obviously active and, and fit. Uh, that is not intended communication. That is not protected. The attorney could be required and, and I, I think ar- arguably is in fact required to uh, disclose information like that to the court. So simply because you you uh, 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 know something. In fact, I was trying to think. I, I told Richard before, I, I'm sure there's a movie based upon a Scott Turow mo- uh, <laughs> novel, but I couldn't think of the name, uh, where a, a client gives a package to his attorney uh, hoping that it will create an attorney-client privilege and protect it from snooping eyes of the police, and, but of course that doesn't do it. You know, if uh, my, my standard joke on this one is that uh, if if it did, you know, several of my colleagues and, and students would just open up storage bins and, and then, you know come put your stuff here and it'll be safe and protected and no one can get it. But you know, lawyers can't do that. You can't manufacture protection for something that is not protected uh, itself. Or you know, like if the client comes to you and says, here's the gun I used to rob the 7-Eleven, uh, you know, hold it, hide it for me. The gun itself's not a communication. It's, you know, it is evidence, and, and we can't hide evidence from the authorities. Well, we appreciate uh, all of this uh, very interesting information. Uh, we would love to have uh, other people participate. If you're interested, uh, be sure to give us uh, a, a note at our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. So uh, what we're talking about uh, attorney-client privilege, and what about the, uh, you know, what is legal advice that a attorney, that might be between an attorney and a client? 
Well, it, okay, so popular culture reference. If you want to think of uh, the movie The Godfather, Tom Hagen, played by Robert Duvall, was the consigliere. He was the guy inside the family who was the inside house lawyer, but he was much more than a lawyer. He was, in fact, committing crimes and assisting with, with committing crimes and advising them on how to commit crimes. That is not protected. Uh, legal advice would be, you know, let's plan our litigation. Let's let's figure out what witnesses we need to talk to. Tell me what evidence you think there might be or what we can find or who we need to interview. Uh, all those things are protected, but uh, it, it has to be uh advice based upon the law it's not again i think i mentioned earlier it's not advice on uh, you know what job you want to take or or relationship advice it, it, it's legal advice but it's it's not in furtherance of a crime it is in furtherance of a, a legal objective such as you know, you know most often we think of litigation exactly and you know if somebody for example you know business advice Pure business advice. And this is where it gets complicated because, you know, like somebody comes to me for tax advice. I'm giving them some things that are really not technically legal advice. It might be, you know, somebody might say, well, that's just numbers and that's really not so much legal advice. But you know, if it's if, if the purpose and it's tied up in legal advice, then it probably is legal advice being a fixer is not giving legal advice. You know, that's then and that would not be protected. All right. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about how the each word of the attorney client privilege is a uh, the whole concept hinges on this relationship, um, a client's right to privilege to refuse to disclose. So what about uh, what are ways things could be disclosed? Well, the most obvious is simply a client issues a waiver. Uh, it's not at all unusual uh, in a uh, in, in a litigation scenario, in, including even in criminal prosecution uh, prosecution or criminal cases involving particularly a corporate defendant uh, to request a waiver, um, and uh, it's not that unusual for them to be granted. So. Uh, the first thing is an express waiver. Uh, then, of course, if we if they punch through any of these things and prove that it is, in fact, not legal advice, that there, in fact, was not an attorney-client situation, that uh, it wasn't really communication, it was uh, evidence that the uh, uh, attorney is trying to harbor. Uh, I, w- I was telling Richard uh, on the break that uh, I think one of the most interesting cases ever involved a mass murderer, a... Um, uh, a a um, guy named uh, Robert Garo, uh, uh, Robert Garo, who had two attorneys, guys named uh, Belgi and Armani, and he was being prosecuted. Uh, he told his attorneys, he said, yeah, I killed those eight people or whatever. And by the way, there's another six more that they never found the bodies. And here are the here's where the bodies are hidden. So the lawyers now know this. They go to the prosecutors and say, as part of a plea bargain, if you cut our uh, client a good deal, we will tell you where these additional six bodies are hidden. Well, now suddenly the prosecutors know that, you know, A, that, 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 that Garrow is guilty, but B, that the attorneys know where bodies are hidden. Uh, they don't want to negotiate over that. They want to force the attorneys to reveal where the bodies are hidden. The attorneys refuse to do so. This gets litigated 
uh, and the attorneys win withholding it. Then they are brought up on sanctions before the State Bar Association. State Bar Association, in the end, commends them for what they did, for standing up for the attorney-client privilege and keeping uh, confidential matters confidential. Now, unfortunately for the lawyers, uh, they lost a whole lot of clients. Uh, they were uh, ridiculed and harassed. Uh, one of them w- went into retirement almost immediately after this, and, and the other uh, had a very difficult time because uh, pe- normal people thought, you know, you're sheltering uh, uh, this very important evidence of protecting a mass murderer, which they were, but they were standing for a principle of American justice, which is the right of a defendant or any client to speak openly and honestly to the attorney. And uh, so the the law and the professional associations went on their side, even though popular opinion did not. All right. Well, this is a call-in show, and we do have a call from Memphis. Joe has called in. Uh, Joe, welcome to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Thank you. I've been listening to your program, and i got a question. And the question refers to how far is a attorney privilege can go. For example, let's say an attorney is representing a client that's for robbery. While discussing the robbery or to it with his client, he discovers that his client also has committed murders or other heinous crimes. Is the attorney then obligated to reveal to the authorities that, hey, this guy, I'm revisiting for robbery, but he's also admitted to me he's committed some other really horrible crimes. How far can an attorney go with something like that? Well, you know, in a way, that's really not so much the evidentiary privilege as it is our duty of our ethical duty of uh, confidentiality to our clients. And the truth is we can't reveal that because that's a past crime. Uh, and I know that you know, a lot of people go, wow, that sounds terrible. But we can we can reveal confidences if they can prevent future crimes. And states have different laws in varying degrees. But, for example, if I know my client is com- planning to commit a murder and has, you know, tells me those plans, and, you know, I can then disclose that information to try to prevent that harm. But once the harm has taken place, we have a duty of confidentiality that uh, supersedes, you know, our, our need to tell about this past crime because we're not really going to we're not going to uh, resolve anything or prevent anything from happening. So the confidential duty really does prevent us from disclosing that. Very interesting. Okay, that was my question. All right. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate you calling in. We need to take our next break. And, oh, Professor Gershon got on to my, my next little puzzle. So if uh, if you tell your lawyer that you're so mad uh, you intend to go kidnap and harm your boss, a la the movie 9 to 5, uh, is the lawyer under attorney-client privilege uh, to not reveal that you're about to go get your boss? Uh, if you'd like, if you have a question, Question uh, for our lawyers that you would like to get answered. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Thank you for listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Gershon is our expert at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest is with him. It's Professor Ron Rischlock, uh, also a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about attorney-client privilege today, and I I posed uh, the the question if uh, Dolly Jane and, and Lily Tomlin had told their attorney that they planned to uh, kidnap and harm Dabney Coleman, uh, would the attorney uh, be able to keep that to himself or would he have any kind of ethical responsibility to notify the police? What's, uh, what's the qu- answer to that one, guys? Well, you know, that's that's where there's a difference between the uh, attorney-client privilege that is a, a really truly a litigation privilege, an evidence privilege, and then an ethical duty generally that all lawyers have to their clients. And uh, we are required to keep uh, information that we gather, uh, it, you know, in a setting where someone's seeking legal advice, that's got to stay confidential unless... Unless, uh, you know, and then the rules have exceptions. And one of the exceptions is if the week may reveal under the American Bar Association model rules or some states say we must reveal if we can prevent substantial bodily harm or reasonably certain death. And so, you know, in that case, I don't know if Dabney Coleman would really hurt that bad, you know. But, if, you know, part of it is from an attorney's point of view, if I if I really do think my client really does plan to follow this through and they tell me about those plans and they're going to harm somebody, then I can reveal. Some states say I must reveal, but it's certainly, at a, you know, as a beginning point, I can reveal in that situation. When you were rattling off the uh, the types, did you say death or debt, like a uh, money? Death, death. Oh, okay, all right. Now there is an exception for for uh, also financial harm. So if I know that my client is is uh, uh, creating a pyramid scheme, for example, and I realize that they're causing harm, and I can prevent further harm, then I may disclose in that case as well. What are some other uh, times when the privilege may not apply? Well, uh, um, you know, anytime the attorney is a witness as opposed to a, an advisor, uh, I mentioned earlier seeing someone on the ski slopes, uh, when an attorney has uh, uh, evidence, you, you can't manufacture evidence by giving something to an attorney. When the client has waived the attorney-client privilege by speaking public, publicly about it, so so a client uh, perhaps is on a radio show or or. A, television show and says stuff that had been protected it now it's no longer confidential so they've waived the the protection there um I've got some others, Richard. (laughs) You know, I think too, you know, if there's one that we'll talk about is, you know, criminal behavior and lawyers, one right. thing to think about is lawyers can't participate. We cannot be part of criminal activity. You, you, I, I love Ron's reference to the Godfather because there's got to be the crime fraud exception had to have applied at right. some point in that that whole thing. And you know, I, I think you know, uh, in recent news, you know, you think about attorneys who have then had to report what 
the communications they have with clients, even recorded those communications with their clients, you know, is that appropriate? Uh, and the answer would be if there's a criminal activity involved, then it would be appropriate because, you know, I, I mean, I'm not sure about recording. Uh, I, you know, the, the ABA uh, has a, a rule, and I, I know because I, I encountered this a long time ago in a case, uh, about surreptitious recording done by an attorney. Uh, you know, uh, the only time I think it's acceptable, a prosecutor inter- uh, uh, or defense attorney interviewing witnesses uh i think that the aba had approved that but in most cases there's actually an ethical problem with an attorney uh secretly tape recording someone now a lot of times some state some state laws make that illegal Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of states don't but uh in terms of the the ethics of it i think secretly recording i think is fairly problematic i totally no i totally agree with that and i think you know that's something that if you had said to your client ahead of time hey can i record our conversations you got That'd be different. then you'd be totally different so you know we want consent of our clients to do those kind of things and ron is exactly right but in terms of you know participating in a crime once once we realize our our client is involved in a crime then our ethical duties change yeah, and I, I don't think you should remain associated with a client at that point. I mean, I don't think you should become a consigliore. And I think once you do that, <laughs> you've, you, you've moved out of the attorney role. <laughs> you know, i got to admit that Robert Duvall's job looks pretty good in that. In the, in, in, in the, probably the best job of any of better than James Kahn. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, uh, you know, look, when we're talking about uh, uh when the attorney-client privilege may not apply. Uh, I came across an example, but uh, I I need uh, some help putting it in context. Uh, Disclosure ostentatiously, I can't even say the word, ostentatiously to support uh, a lawyer's own interest. Uh, Lawyers may disclose confidential information relating to the retainer where they are reasonably seeking to collect payment for services rendered. How does how does that work? Well, that's a situation where the the attorney and the client have had a falling out uh, after litigation. And it's not unfortunately, it's not that unusual for there to be some dispute if the the fees were not handled correctly up front. Uh, And now the attorney, you know, saying I'm entitled to this payment. The client disputes that. Uh, and, 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 and sometimes this will come up in a situation where uh, the, the client, in fact, has passed away and you're dealing with an estate trying to, to convince uh, uh, you know, a, a, a trustee that you are entitled to a certain amount of money. And the only way really to do that is to uh, explain the communications that took place and the courts have held in the, that kind of a scenario where there's actual litigation between parties or there's a, a dispute that's we're trying to arrange fees after the fact that is an acceptable time for an attorney and and again in a way that's within the client's control assuming they haven't passed away you know they can they can negotiate that out it doesn't have to come forward but if you take it to the point of litigation uh, that's going to come forward Ostensibly, that's the word I was trying to. I was reaching for. So, what might be other reasons? Uh, You said you had a list, uh, Professor Richlock, uh, when the privilege might not apply, the a client, uh, attorney-client privilege. Uh, Well, I mean, I think essentially the what you do is you go down through uh, each individual 
word like Richard did at the beginning and you determine, do we have an attorney? Do we have a client? Do we have communication? Was it maintained confidentially? Uh, and it, it, it's, it's really just looking at each of those scenarios. The, uh, Oh, there, there is a situation where if there's a dispute about whether there is, in fact, representation. I think, in fact, uh, I think Richard was trying to make reference to, to the Cohn situation. There was a, a, a debate about whether Cohn represented Sean Hannity, and there was some concern about that. The existence of a client attorney-client relationship is not, in fact, protected by the... So you can't deny the the uh, relationship of attorney-client privilege. Uh, you can't deny that you, you know, someone, I'm representing this one. That is not protected. You can't protect a name, uh, re- refuse to turn over a name under the attorney-client privilege, the name of your client or, or what have you. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, most communications are going to be protected. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our very last break of the hour. We're continuing our discussion about the attorney-client privilege. We've got uh, uh, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law and our guest, Professor Ron Richlock, also a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Okay, here's our last puzzle. If you tell your tax preparer who has a law degree that you need help hiding the money you've embezzled, is that discussion privileged? Uh, our number for you to call in with your questions is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We try very hard at MPB to get our coverage to you in how you can best enjoy it. We love it that you're listening on our weekly shows, but uh, we realize not everybody can do that. So we have an MPB media app, as you, you just heard about, uh, where you can listen to our local shows. You can go to our website, mpbonline.org, uh, and ours is slash in legal terms, where you can listen to our show. And if you like to listen to podcasts while you're at the gym or walking the dog or uh, driving around because you don't like any of the local radio stations that aren't MPB, I don't know, you're on an airplane, whatever it is, uh, save up our podcasts and you can you know download them and listen to them. And if you have a subscription uh, to it, then you'll know when we've put up a new podcast. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest is Professor Ron Rischlock. Uh, so, uh, 
Uh, Professor Gershon, uh, what about our discussion? Uh, you have a tax preparer who you know has a law degree, and you tell him about uh, your nefarious money embezzling. Is that discussion privileged because, well, he, he is a lawyer? You know, there's, uh, I mean, uh, legal advice from a lawyer uh, is, in fact, you know, subject to the privilege. Uh, non-legal advice is not. So it depends on, you know, whether if somebody comes to me, you know, for non-legal advice, uh, business advice, uh, you know, t- uh, advice that would not be considered traditionally legal, that would not be protected. And then when uh, the person has uh, involved in a crime again, I can't. I'm not allowed to participate in that crime. And as Ron said, I probably should withdraw from representation. I certainly advise that client not to do that. Uh, there are ways to have tax payments made confidential, confidentially. If I've got a client who's involved in crime and I want to protect them from later tax evasion charges, I can actually send in an amount uh, in a, a, an account that's a number. And so when the IRS uh, later says, hey, this person didn't pay taxes, I can say, yeah, they did. They paid anonymously. That's one way to protect them. But if they're if they're hiding money, I guess, you know, the the flip answer would be, well, it depends on how much money it is they're hiding. But, um, you know, I should not be uh, involved in that uh, in that commission of the crime. All right. Well, we do have two calls that uh, callers who have called into In Legal Term uh, were popular in Memphis today. Stephanie, you're on In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a question that's kind of current events uh, with Giuliani, Cohen, and President Trump. As it's been in the news, the snippet of recording, and, and because Giuliani talked about it, they said it was no longer protected. So my question is, does that pertain? So now they've decided that 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 snippet that he played is not protected. Does that pertain to only that snippet that was heard? Does that apply if there's a continuous recording about that or the subject in general, the the specific subject that was captured in the recording? is, Is that now no longer covered? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Well, you know, I think that's really a great question, and it's one I'm not sure has been litigated thoroughly yet. Uh, uh, if we have a situation where so there was a conversation that, you know, I think, as I understand, probably should not have been recorded for in the first place by the attorney, but it was played. Uh, now, a, a snippet of it was um, that as to that snippet, clearly that would be admissible at trial. However, I think if you admit that, I think the rule of completeness would require you. I don't think you could admit, uh, you know, we're talking about the, 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 the privilege here. If we admit that snippet, I don't think it would be appropriate to take part of a conversation without giving the other side access to the full amount and making it all available. So I think a a court would face the decision of none of it or all of it. I don't think a court could go with just the snippet. And that's a, you know, it's a, Ron raises a great point because what's going to end up happening with like, it just documents the same thing. A court will look at all the documents. Uh, in com- in camera, which means in its own chambers, without you know the parties present, to try to decide what which documents qualify for the the privilege and which don't. I guess the court would listen to the entire recording and make and make that determination. So it's it's you're absolutely right. I don't know how you could admit part of it and not all of it. All right. Well, we have another qual- uh, we have another caller who's called in from Grenada. Uh, David, go ahead. You're on in legal terms. Uh, hello. Uh, I just have a question, um, uh, but it doesn't pertain to 
confidentiality. Uh, the question is, uh, I heard someone say that uh, recently that uh, women are now, once they turn 18, are required to to uh, sign up for the draft. And, and uh, that led me to think, uh, well, up until that point, uh, women didn't have to. And, and why wasn't? Why is it that a uh, uh, a contradiction to the uh, to the another part of the Constitution says, well, you can't discriminate based on sex. I mean, that seems to be uh, a blatantly sexist. So I was just wondering how that works. That w- women do not have to register for the draft, right? I mean, uh, I, they if they do, if if they, yeah, if they did, my daughters would be uh, <laughs> shocked. Uh, th- uh, well, you know, I'm not sure that there is a part of the Constitution that says uh, there's no discrimination on the basis of sex. I, th- I think traditionally, certainly in the early years, uh, there was a huge amount of discrimination constitutionally permitted. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about amending the Constitution to bring about the equal pr- protection. Uh, uh, the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, um, that would uh, create issues about things like the draft. But uh, as it stands right now, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Equal Rights Amendment is not part of the Constitution. And uh, there are and, and rules like that are, are decided by Congress and they're statutory and they are not unconstitutional. So women do not have to join... Uh, um register now. No, there was actually a, uh, an article in the New York Times back in April of 2017, and, and the title was, Do Women Have to Register for the Draft? No, but misinformation spreads. And that's, that's kind of a problem uh, we have in our society right now is that there's a lot of, a lot of misinformation out there, unfortunately. Oh, there, okay. Well, that's what happened. Uh, but anyway, that led me to that question. Uh, so thank you very much. Sure. Thank you, David, and we're glad that we've been available to to help you uh, uh, get true information. And so we have a, a few minutes left to finish up our discussion uh, about attorney-client privilege. What haven't we talked about yet, guys? Well, we're talking about popular culture. I will, I will tell listeners, if you want to go watch another good movie that, <laughs> that uh, deals with uh, the uh, attempted misuse of the attorney-client privilege, The Lincoln Lawyer, at the heart of The Lincoln Lawyer movie, uh, is essentially an attempt to misuse the uh, attorney-client privilege. Is that a Matthew McConaughey movie? That is. That's okay. the one. And, right. uh, and, and and it's an enjoyable movie, but it's a situation where uh, a criminal defendant is trying to box Matthew into a, a situation where uh, he uh, that, that will that will work to the benefit of the uh, of, of his client uh, by restricting what he can and cannot do. I don't want to give away the I don't want to spoil it for people who want to watch it. All right. Well, if 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 we're going to quickly share, uh, uh, my, one of my favorite movies is Class Action with with Gene Hackman, and that gets into a lot of uh, uh, data and what can be shared and what can't be shared. Yeah, but you got to be careful with uh, popular culture because one of my favorite movies is a movie called Body Heat, which deals with a lot of laws that are state laws, and uh, unfortunately, they get some of it wrong. So, you know, the, the, the whole premise of the movie is based on something that is no longer a valid law. But it's fun to watch these, these legal movies. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, I mean, really, the thing I want people to realize, the attorney-client privilege is something that really does only apply 
uh, as an evidentiary privilege in, in trial, and it's separate from the duty of confidentiality a lawyer has in just even talking to a prospective client. So if you know somebody comes to my office and I don't accept them as a client, the things they tell me about their potential case, I, I have a duty to keep that confidential. We did talk about that uh, for a little bit uh, when we were having a how to choose a lawyer, I think, with uh, ben, when Ben Cooper was available. Talk about that. If you, if you are shopping for a lawyer and you're visiting with one or you're speaking with them on the phone to try to select an attorney, uh, what about what you talk to them on the phone about or if you visit them in their office? The, the initial conversations, uh, I, I believe, are under the protection of the attorney-client privilege. I mean, so because you have to be able to go in and say, here's what I have, here's what I know, here's what I need. And uh, even if we end up not ultimately creating an attorney-client privilege, the privilege for that communication does exist. That attorney uh, cannot then come and testify uh, about the matter, the communications that we had. All right. So we've got uh, an attorney has a uh, attorney client privilege, and that's a, a lot of is it about uh, failure or re- not being forced to turn over evidence. But you, we've got attorneys have a duty to not participate in any illegal or nefarious activities, so they have to report that. Um, and uh, uh, but then there's also a discretion. Uh, that uh, attorneys have to keep the confidentiality. Is that right? That's right. And the, and the one thing to think about, too, is one of the places where this comes out sometimes is, let's say I've got a client, uh, criminal clients have a constitutional right to testify. Uh, and sometimes you, you don't really want them to testify because, you know, they've given, they've shown a tendency to change their story and you're worried they're going to lie on the stand. And at some point... I can't be part of my client uh, committing perjury when I know they're doing it. Uh, so that's that's a tough call, especially for criminal uh, lawyers. I mean, a civil a civil client I can keep off the stand if I want to, but I can't do it with a criminal criminal well, client. Yeah, I knew some criminal attorneys who used to when they they met a new client would actually say. Don't tell me whether you did it. Tell me what, what evidence the government has. Because if they knew that some, if someone said, well, I did it, they could not participate in uh, it, it. They likely could not participate in the testimony that person might want to give. Okay, folks, that'll wrap us up for today on In Legal Terms. Uh, we thank uh, Java Chapman, I believe, was our call screener today. Our board engineer was Jay White. Uh, for Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law and our guest, Professor Ron Reachlock. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. We've been hearing the promos about sleep. I love sleep. I need nine hours of sleep a night. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.